Christmas has passed. I, I pray it was a good one for you and your family, some time of fellowship together, but focusing on the work of Christ and the gift of His Son. As we move into New Year's, it's often a time to think about, think ahead, to reflect back and think ahead and make some resolutions and things like that. What are some common resolutions? Lose weight. Lose weight. Okay? That's near the top of almost every top ten list of resolutions. Exercise. Exercise. The two might go together, I don't know. Find a job, okay? Get organized. So it's a time that we, we think in, in, uh, of where we're at and we make some goals of where we want to be. How often do we keep our resolutions? Never. <laughs> nah. You at least have a couple good days in you. <laughs> it's hard to keep resolutions. And, and, but, but there is an answer that I found online. It's on USA.gov. And in case you're wondering what our, our federal government is doing, I don't want to get too far into that, but um, they have a list of the top resolutions that people make. Lose weights, number one. Um, volunteer to help others. Quit smoking. Get a better education. Get a better job. Save money. Get fit. Eat healthy food. Manage stress. Manage debt. Any of those sound familiar? But what they've done is they've spent the time to make sure that there's a government agency to help us with every one of those. And this list is a list of links where the government will help you keep your resolutions. I don't think that's going to work. Because the problem isn't that we need government telling us how to do it. The problem is oftentimes several things Number one, I don't think we're often making the right kind of resolutions. We're often making resolutions that are about ourselves, that are some, that, that somehow just tie in to make me happy, just tie in to somehow help my life. And, and those resolutions, when that is our goal, when that is the extent of our purpose, anything in life can come along and replace that. The importance, the, the height of the importance isn't there. This morning, we want to talk about what some of the right resolutions are and what kinds of things we should focus on in the new year. And I, I, I don't really want to call them resolutions because these are things that are more reminders, things that we should be practicing in our Christian life, things that we should be doing, that this is a time to be reminded of and refreshed of rather than to suddenly start trying to do. Now, some of these things maybe aren't focuses. Some of these things we're not doing. And so, yes, it is a time to start them. But keep in mind that this is part of ongoing life in Christ, not just something we do once a year. We've been studying through First and Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy, a much more personal letter to Timothy as Paul is, is in prison on death row facing his execution. And he's passing on the faith. He's passing on the ministry to his protege. And... As we've read and studied the first part of 2 Timothy, it has been a daunting list of things that Paul is passing on. It has been a job description that no one would voluntarily sign up for. Timothy, you need to suffer more. Timothy, you're entrusted with the gospel, so you need to get out and be bold with the gospel. 
You need to be a good soldier. You need to be a good farmer. You need to be a good athlete. And, and all of these things, to have a single-minded devotion, to play by the rules, have integrity, to work hard. And all the time, you're going to be discouraged. You're not going to see results right away, but persevere even unto death. Is that a job description you'd sign up for? And so we come to this point in 2 Timothy 2 that Paul now begins to give some encouragement, some of the hows, some of the whys. And and he doesn't do it with a 10-step program. He does it by redirecting Timothy's thoughts and his mind. Because what Timothy reflects on, what he thinks in his mind, what he purposes with his life are the things that are going to help him accomplish those goals. And we come to this text knowing that this isn't just for Timothy. This is for you. This is for I, for me, as we move forward with being entrusted servants of the Gospel. How do we take on that task? What does that look like? What does it mean? And so turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And we want to look at four things that Paul encourages Timothy to remember. And, and as we go through it, we'll turn them into resolutions. Four things that are much better than any other resolution that you can make. Things that are core to our purpose, core to what God has placed us on this earth for. And things that I believe encourage us as well. Paul's going to tell Timothy four things to remember. Remember God's Son. Remember God's Word. Remember God's people. And remember God's promises. So let's dig into 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 and and see what God's Word has to challenge us with this morning. In verse 8 we read, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel. And the first thing that Paul challenges Timothy to remember is remember God's Son. Remember Jesus Christ. And the idea of remember there is more than just oh yeah, I remember something about Him. It's the idea of bearing in mind, keeping at the front of your mind, to not just remember as a memory, but to think of and let it affect your life. I think a good example of what that word means is if I walk in the house and and I I throw my my dirty, maybe I've been outside working, I throw my dirty, smelly clothes right in the middle of the, the, the family room. I can remember that my wife doesn't like that. And I can know Susie doesn't care when I do this, care about care for me doing this. Is that remembering her? No, it's remembering about her. But if I still leave them and say I know she doesn't like him, I'm just going to leave them there. But remembering her would actually be picking them up and and putting them in the laundry room, because now I'm acting on that remembrance. If she walked through and just saw my my stuff all over the room, does she feel remembered? No, not a chance. Not a chance. So when we talk about remember here, we're talking more than just a memory or or a knowledge of somebody. We're talking a, a keeping them in mind, a bearing in mind to a point where it affects our actions. Remember Jesus Christ. The idea of remembering is is very common in God's word, isn't it? You remember the Old Testament? Over and over we have things that God says to his people. Remember, remember, remember. They celebrate the Passover. What were they remembering? God's provision, His salvation from Egypt. 
They celebrated every year so they would not forget who God was and what He had done. When they crossed through the Jordan, do you remember what God had each tribe do? Each tribe was to grab a stone out of the middle of the Jordan as the river is separated and they're going on dry land and grab a stone and they're to build an altar on the other side. And that was to be something that would be a tool for them to remember God's salvation and what He had done. We see over and over, even in the Psalms and in your worship folder this morning, the worship thought is about remembering God's great works. And so there's something to remembering. Both remembering that God did this, but then keeping that and letting it bear out in our lives. Timothy has been called to remember several times. To remember prior generations. To remember his calling. To remember that he is entrusted with the Gospel. And so Paul starts by saying, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that He has changed your life. Remember that He has saved you. Let who He is be part of every part of your life. Life is about Jesus Christ, not about us. And that's where Paul is starting. To say, if you're going to be successful in being entrusted with the Gospel, it starts with a focus on who Jesus is. And he goes on and gives a couple of descriptions, a couple of things that are just a great summary of what to remember. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And in the statement risen from the dead, you have a statement of all of salvation in one, in one little statement. Because when he talks about the resurrection, he's talking about the culmination of a whole life that came to bring salvation. And so this would include the concept of the incarnation. This would include his life. His death is payment for our sins on the cross. And then His resurrection is the stamp of of victory on that story. And so this is the Gospel. He's saying, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He has paid for sin. And sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And so this is a statement that He is Savior. That He brings salvation. What's interesting is the, the tense there is remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead is, is a tense that is ongoing, a, a perfect tense, which means it's an action that happened in the past that should affect every moment of life now. And so him, his, his resurrection is not just about, oh, I'm saved, I can do what I want. It's I'm saved and now that should affect everything I do from this point forward. And we've talked about that. We've talked about life dead and what that means. And Paul is reminding Timothy, you're saved. Death has been defeated in the resurrection of Christ and that affects you today. And I think this also would be encouraging for someone fighting false teaching and and down in the trenches to know the victory's already been won. I am fighting for God Almighty who has already defeated death, who has ensured my salvation, who has ensured my future. It's also a statement that He is the living God rather than the dead God. Risen from the dead means that we serve a God who is still with us and abides with us and still part of everything we do. Second phrase there, we have remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and continuing in verse 8, the offspring of David. 
the offspring of David. And, and there's a couple of possibilities. This could be referring to the humanity of Jesus because he's of the line of David. But more often than not in Scripture, when it talks about the line of David, it's referring to a kingly line, a royal line. And, and in fact, the last two weeks we just talked about Christ is king and, and the king is born. And so this is a statement that Jesus Christ is king and he is Lord. So he's savior and he's ruler or Lord. And he rules over our lives every part. In Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7, in fact, turn there if you, if you can in your Bible. Familiar passage we use at Christmas time, but it's a great illustration of this. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Sound familiar? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And we see Christmas was about the coming of the King and, and Jesus establishing the, the king, kingdom. And Paul is referring to that when he tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that He is Savior, but remember that He still reigns. And you are part of His kingdom. And no discouraging events, no false teachers, nothing that happens can displace God's kingdom because it is God's kingdom, a kingdom that will never end. And so Paul, in two very short phrases, risen from the dead and the offspring of David, captures the good news of salvation and then the Lordship of Christ. And so he says that as we read on in verse 8, back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. And Paul here isn't saying that he made up the gospel when he says my gospel. But my gospel in the sense of he's been entrusted with it in the same way you and I are. And so you and I could say this is my gospel. This is the good news, the story of my salvation and the story that God is still reigning as king. And so Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. How do we do that? On each of your points, I put a resolution that, that if we were to resolve something this New Year's, these would be great resolutions. I resolve to make Jesus Christ central to every part of my life, no matter the cost. I resolve to make Jesus Christ central to every part of my life, no matter the cost. And so the question of, of a resolution like this, and this, this comes to bear on what remember means, how do we make Christ central? How do we get beyond saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, yay God! How do we move beyond that to say, my life is about Jesus Christ? And that's the challenge. That's the challenge of the whole process of sanctification. That's what Paul is instructing Timothy to do, is to make that change. I think of the picture of Christmas time. And my kids remembered that it was Christmas. Now that didn't just mean they knew it was Christmas. For them, remembering was getting up before it was light. 
There was a day when they were younger when we all slept in on Christmas. Had a wonderful morning. And now before it's light, we hear them and come to find out my eldest had set an alarm. (laughs) Bless his heart. Because he was going to remember Christmas. It consumed everything that he was thinking about. See what I mean? It consumed his thoughts the night before. It consumed his actions. It was what he remembered. And so all of his actions were geared toward that single laser focus. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Let all of our focus, let all of our actions be directed to glorifying the Lord and King of the universe. Remembering Him. How do we remember everyday life? Make whatever you do all about Jesus. Whatever you do, bring Jesus into it and ask yourself the question, how has Jesus affected me through this? What He has done, how He has worked, whatever you do can be all about Jesus. Whatever you go through can be all about Jesus. Whatever trial that you go through can be pointing back to Jesus. It's a mindset that says, for every situation, how does Jesus Christ come to bear on this situation? I, I, I loved an example I saw of that this, this last week. And congratulations to Jim and Debbie as your daughter is engaged. And congratulations on her engagement. And, and they posted a video of their engagement and some information about their engagement. And my goal is not to embarrass them. I, I talked to them and to Jim and Debbie ahead of time in using them as an example. But it, it's a helpful example of how to make Jesus part of everything we do. And in the engagement, in the proposal process, they, they had laid out God's Word, and, and at different stages in the proposal process, they opened up God's Word and they read 1 Corinthians 13, and they read Ephesians and, and about um, husband and wife and Christ and the church. And then in this video, they, they spent time in the proposal praying for each other and praying that Jesus Christ would be the center of their marriage. And they took what was a special occasion, an amazing occasion, and made it all about Christ. Does that make sense? How they they took the ordinary and they made it extraordinary by making it about Jesus Christ. By finding a way to include Him. But the story doesn't end there. Debbie messaged me last night and said, Nikki's cousin who doesn't know Christ was so touched by that that she showed that video with God's Word being read to her whole sorority at her college. And so you have this whole group of people that don't know Christ, that are hearing about Jesus Christ because they made Christ the focus and remembered Him in everyday life. That's being entrusted with the Gospel. It doesn't mean we have to stand out on the corner and stop cars and say, you you need Christ, otherwise you're not going forward. It means making Him part and the focus of everything we do. And that takes work. It takes practice. Because we don't think of that. We, we so many times, whether we, whether we try to or not, we can compartmentalize Christianity and we can compartmentalize our love for Christ into Sunday morning or, or community group. Times that, you know, quiet time. And we forget that Christ is Lord over all of our lives. Every moment, every second. And so the question for us is, 
how can I give glory to God in everything I do? How can I give glory to God with a new job promotion? How can I give glory to God with, with a marriage or with a proposal? How can I give glory to God with, with New Year's parties coming up? And when we take the time to be intentional and think about those things, God begins to use us as entrusted stewards of His Gospel. Make whatever you do all about Jesus. Remind yourself of His presence. That's one of the ways to make Him part of life no matter the cost. Remind yourself of His presence in everything you do. I know some people will at times take an empty chair and put it at the table and say, Jesus is sitting here. Just as a visual way to, to, to help them understand Jesus is present with us. Try that sometime. You know, your, your spouse gets in the car in the front seat and say, no, 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 Jesus is sitting there. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Maybe not that one. Maybe the back seat and the kids have to move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're being intentional to retrain our minds, to transform our minds, let the Holy Spirit do that, to realize God is present. And everything we do either brings Him glory or takes away from His glory. The choice is ours. How can I let others see Jesus? All kinds of things that we can do to do this. And I'd love to hear your stories as we try to start doing this. This Memorial Day, I'd love to see us do some barbecues together. And we're going to put together some ways to do that. Barbecues where some people from the church attend and some people from the neighborhood attend. Your neighborhoods. And be entrusted with the gospel by eating barbecued burgers together. That's great. But if we start to change our focus and we start to let people know why we do things, which implies that we have a reason for why we do things, we remember Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul said to Timothy is remember God's Son. Remember Jesus Christ. The second challenge that he gives Timothy in, in encouragement is to remember God's Word. Remember God's Word. And we go on in verse 9, for which I am suffering, and that's the Gospel and remembering Jesus Christ. That's the at all cost of remembering Jesus Christ. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Man, I love that phrase. The Word of God is not bound. And Paul is using the imagery of where he's at. You remember the pictures of the prison that we showed as we started 2 Timothy and he's down in that hole, and he is bound in chains. And so he writes this, not saying, oh, woe is me, my life is so hard, but he's saying, look at how God's Word can still reach people, because nothing can stop it. You know, bound with chains as a criminal was Paul's condition. The Word of God being boundless is God's work. The word for criminal is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used for the criminals that were crucified with Jesus. So this is actually a serious word. It's not just oh, someone that's done something wrong. These are the, the deepest and darkest of criminals. It lets us know what, what Paul was facing, what he was being accused of, that they were serious charges. But the Word of God is not bound. 
It has guaranteed results. God says it will not return void. Now, it may be divisive, and it may cause a stir. In fact, it will, but it cannot be stopped. 2 Timothy 2.15, which we'll study with Pastor Andrew next week. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And we see Paul coming back to a priority on God's Word. One of my favorite verses about God's Word, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word is effective because it The purpose of God's words, one of the purposes is to convict our hearts and to challenge us and to expose sin so that way Jesus can deal with it and take it away. To Timothy, this would have been a powerful encouragement. Where he's wondering at times the effectiveness of his ministry and Paul says, don't worry about the effectiveness of your ministry. Nothing stops God's word. Preach God's word Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. That's what we want to be about at Village. To always come back to God's Word. To let God's Word have the power to convict and challenge us. But that's so encouraging to know nothing will stop God's Word. We know. I I, I hear, I, I see posts and I hear us talking as we watch our culture just go down the tubes when it comes to Christianity. And we, we saw more examples of that this last week as, as reality TV stars are, are saying some of what he said was right out of God's Word and getting slammed for it. But that won't stop God's Word. A TV channel's response to him won't stop God's Word. Laws that try to keep the Bible out of schools won't stop God's Word. Scoffing from a coworker or someone that you're, you're trying to talk to about God's Word, that won't stop God's Word. Regimes have tried to burn Bibles, to ban Bibles, to imprison people that owned Bibles, and that did not stop God's Word. See, these are the very words of God Almighty. Go ahead. Try to stop it. And so Paul says, remember God's Word. What do we fear if we're preaching something that cannot be stopped? What do we fear? John Bunyan wrote much of Pilgrim's Progress while jailed in Bedford, England. And I know one of our Sunday school classes will be starting studying through Pilgrim's Progress this next year. But he was jailed for preaching the Gospel, for preaching the Word. His cell window faced a high stone wall. No one could see in. No one could see out. And still on most days, he would go to that window and and he would preach God's Word out an open window to a brick wall. What he didn't know is there were hundreds of people standing on on the other side of that wall every day hearing God's Word. It will not be stopped. That's the kind of dedication to God's Word that Paul is challenging all of us to remember to have. The resolution for this is I resolve to remember the power of God's Word by making it a priority to read, memorize, and share it. 
I resolve to remember the power of God's Word by making it a priority to read, memorize, and share it. If we're to be entrusted with the Gospel, we've got to know the Gospel. We've got to know God's Word. And village, the time for lip service to the Bible is done. The question is, do we really believe that the Bible is God's Word? Do we really care about it? Will we resolve to remember it this next year? And that doesn't mean remembering it's on the coffee table. It means opening it and digesting it and enjoying it as the very words of God to encourage us and to challenge us. In your worship folder this morning is, is the Rooted Reading bookmark. And every month we put that out and it starts over this next year. It's a two-year plan. I challenge you to take that seriously. To resolve to be in God's Word. We've challenged you to memorize God's Word. And, and in, the, in the discipleship manual that you have, and it's online, there's a whole page on, on how to memorize God's Word. That's more important than any resolution you can make about having a good life. Because this is guaranteed to work. Not guaranteed to make you happy, but guaranteed to accomplish God's purposes. Don't neglect it this year. Find time to be in God's Word, even if it's a little bit of time each day. Find time to make it a priority. And God will reward that. Martin Luther, in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, wrote these words, That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So do you want to invest your resolutions on something that's forever or something that may last a couple days? Remember God's Son. Remember God's Word. The third encouragement and challenge that Paul gives Timothy is to remember God's people. To remember God's people. We go on and read verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And Paul uses himself as an example, but what he's using is his attitude toward God's people. And so we're, we're to remember Jesus, we're to remember His Word, and the outgrowth of that, the outcome of that, is to remember His people, the elect the chosen ones, or God it corresponds to the Old Testament phrase, God's chosen people. And we know that the elect are those that God has chosen from the beginning of time according to His foreknowledge, that He has chosen to be saved. And so we're talking about the people here that are the church, that are God's people. And it's interesting because Paul here isn't just talking about God's people that are saved now. He's talking about God's people that will be saved. Did you catch that? I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. 
And so he's going to give everything he can to share the gospel because there are those that need Christ that God is drawing to himself that will come. This is an incredible statement of priority. And the bigger picture that we see throughout the Bible and especially the New Testament is that it's a priority on God's church's family. God's people as our people, as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see 22 times the the direct phrase, love one another in the New Testament. Over and over and over again. Love one another as, as Christ is teaching a new family idea that we are family. In Romans 12, 10 and 13, we read, love one another with brotherly affection, family affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And and we see in those verses a focus on God's people and a focus that goes beyond, hi, how are you on Sunday morning? But a focus that says, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to find out what you need prayer for and I'm going to pray for you. Seeks to show hospitality. I'm going to have you in my home. I'm going to spend time with you in relationship with you. And village, I challenge us to make 2014 a year we come back to remembering that this is family. And making time intentionally to build this family. But as well, making time intentionally to bring people into the family, as Paul is saying here. And so questions that come to mind as we, as we seek to, to put this into practice is what priority will I put on outreach? What priority will I put on bringing people into the family? I am so proud of what Village has made life about in, in the yearly cycle. When I look at Awana and we see half the kids that come to Awana don't know Christ, although that number is reducing because they keep accepting Christ. When we see Project Touch and so many of you come out to walk through our neighborhood and give out gifts. And I don't know if you know, but we saw several come to Christ that next Sunday at the service that we invited them to. As I see so many of you faithful every month to Second Harvest, that we can think, oh, that's just giving out some food. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we are making a difference and seeking to bring people into the family. I love an image that Pastor Leroy, who's here with us this morning, taught us of extending the table. And it's about constantly adding leaves to the table and making room for more. And for us at Village, that means not just welcoming, and and you've heard us talk about this before, not just being a welcoming church, but being an including church. To think beyond, okay, were they greeted on Sunday morning, to how will they be included in the life of the family. Chances are at Christmas time, as you're opening gifts or doing your your Christmas celebration, chances are you made sure everybody in the family was part of that, didn't you? There wasn't, oh, let's deliberately exclude so-and-so. Let's get the gifts done now. We might get their gifts. No, no, you, you deliberately include everyone. 
that's a, a picture of what we as a church should be about. I think about community life. I'm challenged by that. Will I endure everything for the sake of God's people? For the sake of the church? Will I endure inconvenience? Will I endure a schedule that changes? Will I endure not getting to do what I want to do? Not getting to take the nap that I want to take? For the sake of building relationships in God's family. challenge us because on that issue I think we have some work to do. I challenge us this year to to take that on head on and say we're going to make sure we do God's work in that. You know, maybe it means resolving that at least once every month or two you'll have someone from the church to your home. Maybe it means making an appointment to have lunch with somebody. But let's do it. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so the resolution there is, I resolve to put a high priority on my church family, both current and future family members, by making time to build relationships, encourage them with Jesus, and meet needs. So many more verses we could look at. But we're challenged to remember God's people. Remember God's Son. Remember God's Word. Remember God's people. And finally, in the last three verses, remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. And the resolution there is, I resolve to stay faithful to the faithful God, obeying Him with my present and trusting Him with my future. And in these three verses, we get what was probably an early Christian hymn that Paul quotes here. But it's full of, of truths. It's, it's four pairs of truth or four statements that all involve what we do and what God accomplishes. So reading at verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. So Paul's drawing attention to this. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. And so the idea of that first statement is we die with Him, He gives us life. And by dying with Him, it's, it's a statement of what happens at salvation. That moment where we die to our old self, where we participate in His death, where we say, I acknowledge your death, I take that as, as payment for my sin. And then we are new creatures. It's a death to self and life in Christ. We live with Him now, we live with Him in eternity Because God has saved us. And so the promise is, if we are truly saved, if we have come to Him, we are are promised salvation and eternal life. We are new creatures. And that doesn't go backwards. In Galatians 2.20 we read, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's speaking of dying with Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I died to self. Christ lives in me. That's a deal. That's a deal. It goes on to the next phrase. If we died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. We endure we, we, through trials, through tribulations, and the promise is that He will reign and He will 
have us reign alongside of Him. It's a promise of eternity with Christ. To persist. I can just imagine Timothy smiling when he heard that. Okay, I can keep going another day. Because I see who wins. I see the end result. And so these are promises of God. We get to the third one. And the third one is is a little more sobering. It's a warning. In verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. And it's, it's coming back to the words of Christ Himself in Matthew 10.33, but whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny before My Father in heaven. And this denial isn't just a, a casual slipping or an, oh, I sinned. This denial is, is renouncing that God is Lord of our lives. It's a complete abandonment of faith. It's apostasy where people have, have turned their backs. People started with Christ, looked like Christians, but were not true Christians and walked away as we saw in 1 John 2. And the warning there is that they will spend eternity apart from God. Eternity in judgment because they are not saved. And so when we talk about God being faithful, He's faithful to His promises. He's also faithful to promises of judgment, of penalty. But God is faithful. And finally, we get to the fourth phrase. And all kinds of discussion of how to take the fourth phrase. But I think in the, the, the context of encouraging Timothy and, and pairing this with the first phrase, one and four go together, two and three go together. This is a wonderful statement of God's faithfulness and forgiveness. In verse 13, we read, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. If we are faithless, and we expect with the the series of, of statements, we expect, well, God will be faithless, or God will abandon us. But God here in this verse is talking about those that are truly saved. And the idea of faithless, faith is the, is, can mean obedience. Faith can mean practicing what God has, has instructed us to do. And so this idea is if we blow it, if we mess up and we're truly saved, we're God's children, we're part of, part of, we are adopted into His family. If we blow it, God doesn't just abandon us and stick, kick us to the side of the road but He is faithful to His own. And we know if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this is a wonderful statement that even if I fall, if I come back to Christ, He is there to forgive and be faithful. One author called this the magnificent reversal. The magnificent reversal, because whereas we expect Christ to say in this, well, you blew it, you're gone, the reversal is God is still faithful because He cannot deny Himself. And when we are truly saved, we are His children, we abide in Him and He in us, and so He cannot deny Himself. So Paul's final encouragement to Timothy is with the faithfulness of God with the promises of God. 
Hudson Taylor often said, it is not by trying to be faithful, but in looking to the faithful one that we will win victory. And so when we remember God's promises, it's about remembering the faithful one. Remembering his instruction, but remembering his care, his faithfulness to us in any situation. And so our resolution for for remembering God's promises is I resolve to stay faithful to the faithful God, obeying Him with my present and trusting Him with my future. Four things to remember. Four resolutions that could define your 2014 and beyond if you take them seriously. Remember God's Son, Jesus Christ. Make Him part of every part of your life. Remember God's Word. Make it a priority because it cannot be stopped. And if we're going to use a tool for Christ, let's use one that can't be stopped. Remember God's people. Give everything for church family because that's God's family. It's our family. And finally, remember God's promises that God is trustworthy. He will never let you down. He will never let you down. And so we can serve Him with abandon. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank You for Your Word. It convicts and encourages all at once. And Lord, I I pray for myself as I, I think through these statements of what to remember And Lord, I pray for Your strength to to accomplish these things. Lord, to make You central to everything I do. Lord, I pray for our church that we would be transformed by putting Jesus into everything we do and just seeing what You do. Stepping back and being blown away by what You accomplished through Village because we have made You preeminent. Lord, I can't wait to hear testimonies about that. I pray that You would work. Lord, that You would bring more salvations from the apartments across the street, from the houses around us. That You would help us each to reach into our neighborhoods, Lord. That people would know that we believe in Jesus Christ because it is good news and has changed and radically transformed our lives from lives destined for death to lives of life. Lord, I pray for salvations. I pray for baptisms, for people coming into your family, and that we would be ready for them to include and to bring them into truly what is a family. Lord, thank you for your word. We give our year to you this coming year. In Jesus' name.